morning we're going to look at the Gospel according to Matthew, chapter 6, verses 25 through 34. Matthew 6, 25-34. And if you'd like to follow along, there's an insert provided for you if that's helpful. This is Jesus speaking in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food in the body, more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will He not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? The Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need Him. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Father, if it wasn't for the special revelation of Your Word, we would be like blind men groping around in the dark. But You have made your, Yourself and Your ways known to us through Your Word. We thank You that Your Word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Father, help us to walk in the light that You have given to us. In Jesus' name we ask this. Amen. You may be seated. Well, let me begin with a question this morning. How many of you struggled with anxiety in the last month? Not, not appropriate concern, uh, but wrongful, sinful anxiety. Um, if you didn't struggle with anxiety, raise your hand so that we can all stand in awe of your great faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, now, I'm being a little facetious. Um, there probably are some among us um, who didn't struggle with anxiety. But my guess is, um, for the vast majority of us, um, anxiety is a part of life. Um, too much a part of life, um, if we're honest. The passage before us this morning um, is about anxiety. Uh, four times, directly and indirectly, Jesus commands us not to be anxious. In verse 25, we saw that Jesus said, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about life. Verse 28, He said, And why are you anxious about clothing? And then in verse 31, He said, Therefore do not be anxious. And then in the last verse of the passage, 34, He said once again, 
Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow. So Jesus repeatedly tells His followers not to be anxious. Um, Now, this relates directly to our series on being generous uh, because if we're anxious about food and drink and clothing, then we're going to be tight-fisted. We're not going to be generous. We're not going to be free with our money because we're thinking, I've got to hold on to it because I have all these concerns and all these needs and all these things that I have to um, provide for. Uh, But God wants us to be generous. And as we've been saying, one of the goals of the Christian life is to be a generous people. Um, in Psalm 112, um, we see this. And I picked Psalm 112 because I've been memorizing this psalm. Um, and for me, it's a very helpful psalm. Um, but this is what we read in verse 5. It is well with the man who deals generously and lends. And then we also read in the same psalm in verse 9, He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. So this is the man who is generous. He lends freely. And I've been memorizing it in the NIV which says he has scattered abroad his gifts to the poor. And it's just uh, liberality and just giving to those who are in need. In Ephesians 4.28, we have this interesting passage. Um, It actually begins by saying, let the thief no longer steal. Okay, that's clear enough. Okay, if you're a thief, stop stealing. What should you do? But rather let him labor. That's obvious. Don't steal. Go to work. Get a job. Get a paycheck. Uh, pay for your bills so you don't have to steal. But that's not the end of it. Uh, Paul goes on and he says, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. So one of the reasons why we go to work, not just pay the bills, but so that we can share with others who are in need. And then 1 Timothy 6, just one more passage, and of course there are many that we could look at, but 1 Timothy 6, 17 and 18, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. So God blesses us so that we can enjoy what He has given to us and thank Him and praise Him for that. And then Paul goes on and he says, they are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. So, Christians are to work hard, enjoy what God has given them, and also be generous and give to those in need. So, a spirit of generosity is to characterize the people of God. But again, if we're an anxious people, we're not going to be generous. So we want to overcome anxiety. Um, what is at the very root of anxiety? I don't think we have to guess because Jesus tells us in this passage, and we see it in verse 30, where he says, But if God so clothes the grass of the field which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, Will He not much more clothe you, O you of little what? Little faith. Why are we anxious? Because we have little faith. That's the problem. So the biblical answer, not the clinical answer, not the psychological answer, but the biblical answer um, to anxiety is a lack of faith. 
So we need to look at it this way. As our faith grows, and just picture a scale, as our faith goes up, anxiety goes down. As faith goes down, anxiety rises. So we want to have greater faith. We want to have stronger faith. And as that happens, uh, anxiety will diminish. Um, Can I give you a working definition of anxiety? Um, Anxiety is often, not always, but anxiety is often runaway emotion. Runaway emotion. It's just like a freight train out of control, just charging down the tracks and it can't stop. Um, So sometimes it goes like this. What if there's another terror attack? And what if it happens when we're in New York this time? Uh, What if the Democrats win the next election? Some of you might be saying, what if the Republicans win the next election? What if a Tea Party candidate wins the next election? What if the Blackhawks don't make it to the Stanley Cup? What if the Cubs do better this season than the Sox? God, God forbid, may it never be. <laughs> Meganoite. <laughs> uh, but seriously, what, what is anxiety? It's, it's basically, what if, what if followed by, ah, right? That's, that's anxiety. What if, and then you, you, you just start to panic and, and your emotion runs away with you. Now, let me give you a working definition of faith. Faith is basically biblical reasoning. Faith is basically biblical reasoning. Now, the theologians will tell you that faith technically has three elements. I'll spare you the Latin this morning. But in English, the three elements of faith are accepting the facts concerning God and Jesus Christ and then trusting those facts and then acting on those facts. That's, that's faith. But how, how do we go from um, accepting the facts to trusting the facts to acting on those facts? And we do that by reasoning biblically. We go through a difficult situation and we remind ourselves, wait a second, God is sovereign. He's still seated upon His throne. He's in control. And in fact, we know from Romans 8.28 that He has promised to work out all things for the good of those who love Him and have been called according to His purpose. So He's got good purposes in this. It's okay. God has said that He will never leave me nor forsake me. He has promised that He will meet all my needs according to His glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Even when I'm laid off, even when a regular paycheck isn't coming in, it's okay when the doctor's report comes in and it's it's not good because His grace is sufficient for me. His power is made perfect in weakness. He will be my rock. He will be my refuge. He will be my ever-present help in time of trouble. It's okay. And as we think through what God has said, as we engage our minds, we accept the facts and then we trust them, And then we act upon those facts and we find faith rising and anxiety going down. Now, this morning, um, as Jesus addresses anxiety in this passage, um, His 
antidote basically can be summed up in two words, consider and act, or think and seek. Basically, Jesus is saying, I want you to think. I, I want you to engage your mind, and then I want you to act. There's some things that I want you I want you to do, and both are designed to bolster our faith. So this morning, um, I have five truths to help us think, and then five realities to act upon, which gives us seven points, and we'll uh, rapidly move through them this morning. So number one, consider that life is more than food. Consider that life is more than food. Notice how Jesus begins. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink nor about your body, what you will put on. And then we have this question. Is not life more than food? Let me just stop right there. Is not life more than food? Now, now why is Jesus asking a question? Why does He just say, hey, life is more than food? Why does He say, do you not know life is more than... Why does Jesus ask that question? For the same reason I'm asking you a question right now. <laughs> and not just telling you Jesus said. Because questions make us think. When someone asks us the question, we, we have to think. And the disciples have to say, is life more than food? And they have to think, well, yeah, life, life is more than food. Or I think it's more than food. Or No, that's, that's basically life. So, Jesus is asking this question. We should answer it. So, let me ask you, is life about more than food? You're not sure. You, 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 can, you can say it. Is life more than food? Yes. You gave the Christian answer. If you're a Christian, then life is more than food. What if you're not a Christian? If you're not a Christian, the answer is no. Um, the well-known uh, atheist Richard Dawkins a while back uh, wrote a book, Castizing Religion, and Especially, he sets his sight on, sights on Christianity, and it was called the God Delusion. Um, in the New York Times, he was discussing his book, and this is what uh, Richard Dawkins said. He said, I cannot know for certain, but I think God very improbable. In other words, I think it very improbable that God exists. And he said, and I live my life on the assumption that He is not there. Notice very carefully what Richard Dawkins is saying. I base my entire life and my eternal destiny on an assumption that God doesn't exist. And I point that out for a number of reasons. Atheists, and if you read any of their books, they like to talk about how we are people of science, facts, reality, uh, those religious people live their whole lives on faith. They just take a blind leap of faith. They ignore the facts. You know what? It is not faith versus reason. It is faith versus faith. Richard Dawkins basically admitted that he's a person of faith. He said there's not evidence, and I'm not sure because there isn't evidence that can convince me, but I base my whole life on the assumption that God doesn't exist. Therefore, the foundation of his entire life is on a faith. So, it's faith versus faith. He just thinks life here and now is all there is. 
So Richard Dawkins would answer this question. No, life is not more about more than food, drink, clothing, because that's all there is. Which, if you think about it, is really a sad way to live. And he is an honest atheist. He admits there's no meaning, there's no purpose to life. But as Christians, we can say life is about much more than food and drink and clothing, even though those are blessings from God. Life is about more than that, and Jesus is going to talk about the more than that a little later. But in essence, this is a mild rebuke by Jesus, and He's saying, why are you being anxious about little things? Food, drink, clothing? Come on, Jesus is basically saying, life is about more than that. Number two, Jesus says, consider God's care for the birds. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Then we have another question. Are you not of more value than they? Come on, aren't you worth more than the birds? Do we have any bird watchers here? We we have a few. what's the technical term? Ornithologist or something? How do you how do you pronounce that? What is it? Ornithology. ornithology. We I guess we have one here. An ornithologist in our midst right here. Yes, a person committed to watching birds. And that's a command by Jesus. Look at the birds. And I think it'd be wonderful if there were some birds out back. We could say, now let's just all walk over to the window. Let's look at the birds. And we could say, hey, there's a robin. Now, let's look at the robin. Does he look stressed? Does he seem to be worried about his marriage? No, he's not stressed. I mean, is he worried? Where am I going to get my next worm? He's not wor- Why is he not worried? Because your heavenly Father feeds him. Therefore, he's not anxious. He's not storing up in barns because his heavenly Father will take care of him. I love this this little poem. Some of you have heard me say it before, but I'm going to say it again because it's so good. Said the robin to the sparrow, I should really like to know why these anxious human beings rush about and worry so. Said the sparrow to the robin, Friend, I think that it must be that they have no heavenly Father such as cares. For you and me. That's pretty good, isn't it? They, they must not have a Heavenly Father because if they did have a Heavenly Father, they wouldn't worry because they would know that He's going to care for them. He's going to take care of them and provide for them. They must have forgotten that they're worth more than us. They must have forgotten the birds would say if we could hear them talking to one another that they are the ones made in the image of God. They are the ones for whom God sent His one and only Son to die on the cross and atone for their sin and rise from the dead. They must have forgotten those great and awesome truths. So if you're anxious this morning, it really would be helpful to go out into nature and look at the birds, look at some other animals, and to realize that God's providing for them. Surely, He will provide for you too. Number three, Good way to overcome anxiety. Consider how useless worry is. Consider how useless worry is. 27. Another question by Jesus. Again, getting us to think. 
And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Now, this is translated uh, variously because it's a little confusing, but I'll just go with the ESV here. Um, if you worry, are you going to live longer? Um, in fact, you, you know you may actually shorten your life. You may die of a heart attack or ulcer. Um, you know that worry actually um, is very detrimental to our health. Um, worry doesn't accomplish anything. One, one of my professors at Moody said, worry is like a rocking chair. It gives you something to do, but you don't get anywhere. <laughs> but, but a rocking chair is at least relaxing, right? <laughs> uh, we have some chairs on our porch and they rock back and forth and, and I actually enjoy those chairs. They're, they're relaxing. I, I would state it this way, worry is like a treadmill. And it just gets faster and faster and faster. And, and not only do you get nowhere, but when you're all done, you're exhausted. And, and you're worn out. That, that's what worry is like. But the truth is, uh, worry is not only useless, uh, but John Piper reminds us that worry or anxiety can actually lead to other sins if it's not conquered. This is what John Piper says. Stop for a moment and think about how many different sinful actions and attitudes come from anxiety. Anxiety about finances can give rise to coveting and, and greed and hoarding and stealing. Anxiety about succeeding at some task can make you irritable and abrupt and surely. Anxiety about relationships can make you withdrawn and indifferent and uncaring about other people. Anxiety about how someone will respond to you can make you cover over the truth and lie about things. So if anxiety could be conquered, a lot of sins would be overcome. And I, I think we all know that we could add to John Piper's list. Anxiety leads to this and that and the other things. So not only is anxiety useless, but it's actually uh, destructive if we don't stop it. And, and Jesus wants us to think about that. That's why He asks us the question. Think about anxiety. What is your anxiety accomplishing? And we say, nothing good. This really isn't good. Number four, consider God's adornment of the fields. Uh, grass is even more insignificant than birds. 28, and why are you anxious about clothing? Another question. So again, Jesus is just bombarding us with, with questions. Think about this and that. So, so, we, so we think. Again, Jesus wants us to think here. He wants us to ponder. He wants us to consider. And again, let me reiterate, He's doing that because when we're anxious, we're just emoting. We're not thinking. So we really do have to be intentional about thinking. So Jesus is helping us with all these questions. Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory, I like that, Solomon was the richest king of all, David's son. Even Solomon in all his glory and splendor and majesty was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, Will He not much more clothe you? And the answer is, 
Of course He will. If God sees a field and He says, I'm just going to adorn it with beautiful lilies and flowers so that when people walk by the field, they say, wow, what what a beautiful field. Um, That's a reminder to us that God will take care of us. And and Martin Luther said, it's like the fields are there to rebuke us. To say, look at how God clothes the grass and the fields. Surely He will clothe you. Why are you anxious? And the answer again is for no good reason. Uh, Number five, consider the care of your heavenly Father. Verse 31, Therefore, Jesus is now going to, to summarize all that He's been saying. Therefore, do not be anxious saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles, or maybe your translation has pagans. In our culture, we might say atheists. For the Gentiles, the pagans, the atheists, seek after all these things. And your Heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Twice in this passage, Jesus tells His disciples, you have a Heavenly Father. When He talked about the birds, He said, it's your Heavenly Father who takes care of them. And He comes back to that theme here by saying, you have a Heavenly Father, but now the contrast is with the Gentiles, those outside the church. They don't have a Heavenly Father. So, of course, they should be running around frantically. Of course, they should be anxious. They should be worried because they don't have a Father who's taking care of them. They're all on their own. You're not on your own. You have a Heavenly Father who knows what you need and He will provide for you. He cares for you. And of course, we should understand this better than the disciples did at this time because implied in this is the doctrine of adoption. You have a Heavenly Father which means you're His son. You're His daughter. You've been adopted into His family. And now that doctrine is even clearer because we can look at it in light of the death of Christ, atoning for our sin, the resurrection, His ascension into heaven. And then we know that when we receive the new birth and when we put our faith in Christ, we're invited into His family. Jesus Christ is our brother. We're heirs of the kingdom. Everything that belongs to Christ belongs to us. We now have the privilege, the audacity to come into God's presence and say, Dad, this is what I need. And that should be an anchor to our souls. And we should understand the care of God even better because we can look at the cross. If there's any question whether or not God cares for you, look at the cross. And that will encourage you even when you go through the worst of times. Uh, Some of you know the story of uh, Horatio Spafford. He was an American lawyer. He lost everything he had in the Chicago fire of 1871. Only two years later, he sent his wife Anna and his three daughters on a ship across the Atlantic Ocean uh, for a trip to England. The ship hit another ship and it began to sink. As it was sinking, Anna gathered together the four little girls and they prayed together. And then the ship went down. They were all scattered because of the waves. Uh, The four girls drowned. Uh, Anna was found later by a rescue ship 
floating in the water unconscious, but she revived. The rescue ship took her to England and through a cable, she said a two-word reply to her husband, Horatio, back in America, and it simply said, saved alone. Uh, Horatio got on a ship, crossed the Atlantic, and uh, when they got to the place where the girls drowned, he paused for a moment and he looked. And then he amazingly, in the midst of this situation, uh, penned a tremendous hymn, and we're going to sing it uh, a little later in communion. And the hymn is entitled, incredibly, It Is Well With My Soul. How, how could a man who lost everything in the Chicago fire and then lost all his children, how could he sing praise to God? We, we could even ask this question. Why wasn't he mad at God? Shaking his fist at God. By way of contrast, just yesterday, um, I was at a baseball game. Caleb had a doubleheader. And a, and a family who casually attends our church introduced me to one of their friends. Um, she said, this is our pastor. And, and she introduced me to her friend. And then her friend said, and, and this is my son, uh, teenager. He looked like he was about 15, 16. And, and I went to extend my hand and shake his hand and said, good to meet you. And just by looking at him, I could tell he was just angry, furious as all get out. And as I extended my hand, he just stood there. And I was like, something's going on here. And I looked over at the mother and she said, a little while ago, his father died. And he lost his brother to death as well. And since that time, he's been very angry with God. And I said, that's okay. Many people have gone through that kind of difficulty. And then he just uh, murmured under his breath, God doesn't exist. And I immediately thought of what I told you on more than one occasion. I thought of the two tenets of atheism. God doesn't exist and I'm mad at Him. How could God take my dad? How could God take my sibling? How dare he do that? And he was in a rage towards God. And just hearing that I was a pastor was enough to set him off. But Horatio Spafford didn't respond like that. Why? Because he understood the care of God. How could he understand the care of God? Because he was setting his sights on the cross. Look at what he wrote. Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ hath regarded my helpless estate and hath shed His own blood for my soul. And then the next stanza. My sin. Oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin. Not in part, but the whole. Is nailed to the cross. And I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. Horatio Spafford could actually praise the Lord because he was looking at the cross. He said, look at what God has done for a sinner such as me. He's taken it away, all of it, and He's nailed it to the cross. I can trust the God who's not oblivious to my circumstances, but enters into the pain of life and would do that for me. Reminded me of John Stott who said, if it wasn't for the cross, I couldn't believe in God. 
God is not indifferent to suffering. God enters into suffering and the evidence of that is the cross. The supreme example of God's love and care for His people which can be an anchor to our souls when we want to be anxious. So Jesus says to His disciples, I want you to think. Think that there's more to life than just food and drink and clothing. Think about God's care even for birds. Think about how useless worry is. Think about how God adorns the grass of the field. Think about the care of your loving Heavenly Father and that will bring you peace. But we need to realize that as great as peace is, as much as God wants to bless us with peace and we see that often in Scripture, we see it in the benediction It's not the ultimate goal. It's the penultimate goal. The ultimate goal is the glory of God. So we have to consider what God has done for us. And then Jesus has a couple of things for us to do. And I'll just put these together. We read them in verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things will be added to you. There's really two basic commands in this passage. Do not be anxious, which Jesus says repeatedly, but seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. That's the command. Don't be anxious. Seek the kingdom. And seek the kingdom is in the present imperative. And you say, wow, that's, that's amazing. What does that mean? That just means it's an ongoing command. Seek continually the kingdom. And it is a command. It's something that we're instructed to do. Life is about more than food and drink. And the potty is about more than clothing. Life is about the kingdom of God. Extending His glory through the advancement of the kingdom. Life is about living a righteous life that pleases Him. So how do we overcome anxiety? We focus our attention not not on the little things of life, but we focus our attention on what He's calling us to do, and that is to glorify God by seeking first His kingdom and His righteousness. I think, in in a sense, Jesus is saying, fight fire with fire. Do you want to worry? Worry like a Christian, if if I can put worry in quotes. Worry about the kingdom of God. Worry about your family members who don't know Jesus Christ. Worry about your neighbors who are going to hell. Worry about how your church can have a greater impact in the community. Worry about how you can use your spiritual gifts to advance the kingdom. Worry about how you're going to honor me today. Worry about how you can grow in holiness. Worry about how you can bring pleasure to me. Worry about those things. Seriously. What if we really were worried about those things in a proper sense of seeking them and being concerned about them. You you know what would happen with all our our petty worries? And and I'm not saying they don't matter. I'm not saying God isn't concerned about them. But I'm saying they'd be put in the bigger picture and we would see, wait a second. God's calling me to pursue His kingdom and and His righteousness. I need to worry about that. Mm -hmm. And then we have another one of these awesome promises that Christians struggle to believe. And then right at the end, Jesus tacks this on. We almost overlook it. And all these things will be added to you. They'll be given to you. 
Jesus almost adds it on just as an aside, almost like, well, you know that as you pursue the kingdom, you know God's going to take care of you, right? You know you don't have to be worried about those things, right? You know God will provide for you. So get your priorities straight. And as you do that, God, God will provide for you. So in a sense, Jesus is saying, Let's worry like Christians. <laughs> Let's worry about eternal things. Let's worry about kingdom things and not worry about temporal, earthly things because they're going to pass away. Remember what we saw last week earlier in the passage? We're, we're, our treasure's in heaven. We're, we're, we're looking ahead to the kingdom, to eternity. Let, let's keep our focus. Let's keep our mind clear. We want to think about that and we want to live and we want to act in light of that. And as we do that, we may find that miraculously, anxiety just gets squeezed out and pushed to the side. So let's think as Jesus is calling us to think and let's act as He's calling us to act. Let's, let's close in prayer. Father, we thank You for Your Word that is so relevant to where we live. The truth is we are often anxious about little things. Father, forgive us for our anxiety. Father, thank You for the examples of Your care that are everywhere if we just have eyes to see. We, we can see it with birds. We can see it with cats, dogs. We can see it with grass. Father, give us eyes to see. But most importantly, may we see the cross. May we be gripped by Your love that's seen in the cross, Your care that's seen in the cross. And Father, may this enable us to, to act as You're calling us to act. Satan loves to distract us. May we not be distracted by the greatest calls of our lives. And we ask these things in Christ's name for His sake. Amen.